But nevertheless, welcome. 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 I am Rob Wallace. This is the Zero Noise Podcast, where we engage in progressive discussion about music, life, and everything in between with our guests. This podcast is brought to you by Grove Studios, the 24-7 artist and production workspace. Whether rehearsing for your next show, producing a new song, doing a podcast, or shooting a video, Grove Studios is set up for the independent creator. Right now, Grove is offering subscriptions that can help you get your project or next creation popping off. To learn more, visit grovestudios.space. This podcast is produced by Project Plugin and shared with all streaming platforms through Captivate. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you are hearing or seeing the podcast. My life's work is to lift music and hip-hop specifically as both the historical subtext and the product of American culture, a medium of liberation and the soundtrack for the search for black freedom collectively and individually. The hip-hop album has a primary source of critical discourse about life in America by those who create it. Therefore, we will not only discuss albums that are commonly regarded as classics or close to classics, I want to know about the music that changed the way our guests thought. Along the way, we'll explore how music speaks to who we are and who we desire to be. Art is not valuable if it does not challenge, if it does not ask, and if it does not respond. We acknowledge that music decorates time as art decorates space. I ask dope people to visit with me, talk about who they are, who they have been, and what they do. I also ask them to be ready to discuss an album that played a role in them becoming them. You will not hear the music we will discuss for many reasons, but you will never hear it the same afterwards. So therefore, this is a music podcast, but it is a people's podcast. Today, the person is Jamal Buffer, a.k.a. Buff One. And the album is A SWAT Healing Ritual by The Witch Doctor. Yes. What up, though, Jamal? What up, though? How you doing, bro? Good. This mask, man. I'm I'm ready to get rid of these masks, man. Yeah, can't do it yet though. Not yet. Nah, man. Nah, man. Nah, man. Shout out to uh, everybody that's going out and getting that shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I have my thoughts. You of, know, of I not doing it. Of not doing it. Yeah, I think we. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. I had my thoughts as well. I'll I'll speak for myself. Right, 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 right. I definitely had my thoughts. I still have my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think it's important at this point. And I try not to time the podcast, like, you know, um, like put a time stamp on it. Yeah. But I think it's definitely uh, notable that we want to say RIP to DMX. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we should talk about that, too. Uh, okay. Just in terms of not him specifically, but what does retirement look like? What does mm. veteranship look like for hip-hop but we'll talk about that we'll get to that so jamal who is jamal buffer um jamal bufford is a basketball fanatic uh mama's boy um hip-hop head just uh, I love people. I love connecting the dots, um, bringing people together. Um, someone needs something. They need a resource. 
I don't have a problem with people hollering at me. I don't like. I don't mind being the connector. Um, some people like, you know, when it's when it's right, I'll charge for my <laughs> my intellectual property or my, you know, what I need to be paid for. But I just like helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess that's it. Why do you think? Do you think that you are successful at helping people? Hmm, that's a good question. I think so. I think so. Like, how do you, <laughs> I guess, do you know if you are successful, if they continue to come back to you or if they don't continue to come back to you? That's a good question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Never even thought about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Were you the person, like, there are certain people that we know that are, like, they're nexus type people. Like, they're the individual that brings together different crews or different groups of friends, even if you take it back to like high school. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do with your personality. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about your involvement in the community mm-hmm. in Washtenaw County. And that is kind of what I see is you know a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people from multiple generations are connected with you. Yeah. Not just through music. Right. So what I'll put it like this. I knew of you around the time I was graduating from college. I saw you performing with Funk Intelligence. Okay. I want to say it was Funk Intelligence, I think Binary Star, okay. And Athletic Mike League. Um, I think it was another group called the were they the Artful Dodgers? Yep. Yep. That was a crew from that time. This was all at the Blind Pig. <clears throat> this was Yeah, this was right around 2000. Okay. Um and you know, I know who I knew who Majestic Legend was and all of that. I never got a chance to meet you though. Okay. But tell me about that. Well, I want you to tell me about that. We'll go back before that. Okay. But what is it about Ann Arbor that really cultivated you to be able to be in that position? Yeah. Few things. Um I think it was kind of like uh not not like it was like nothing there or nothing here or, or there. Since we're in Ipsy right now, but not that it was nothing there, but I I I think it was it was just prime for something to be built there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's tough because it's a college town. A lot of people coming in and out, um, short amount of time, stay for a couple of years, move out. So us being from there, you know, I think, I think, I don't know. We just, we just caught the right time, the right era, the right movement. Like it was just everything. It was like the domino effect. It was like, right. okay, so hip hop is really like 
popping. It's late nineties, right. early two thousands. Like, okay, so yeah. it's a it's a thing. It's a real, real big thing now. All right, cool. That's one thing. Two people from Ann Arbor was looking for something. They was like, okay, you know, because it was you know, I'm not gonna front like we were the first cats because it was cats before us. Of course. Um, Who was before you, by the way? Um. Who do you view as being those kind of trendsetters? A group called Prodigy. Okay. Uh, the Prodigy, which uh, Jay Carter, who was the, the principal at Clegg Middle School, he was, okay. he was in that group. Okay. Um, Son, of course, from Ipsy, but Son. Um, it was a group called the Urban Black Poets, uh-huh. I think. Was it Black Poets Society? Or maybe it was both. It might have been both of them, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a handful of cats um, but you know, we when we were young, yeah. So we caught we caught that like young energy. A lot of cats was like, okay, these might be the next cats, right? Then we just stuck with it. That was another thing. Like it was a lot of dope cats, a lot of dope cats from our area, but they just didn't stick with it. Right. Like if you like, I think Nipsey said something like that in one of his inter- interviews. Like he didn't have any like qualities that necessarily made him stand out from everybody else he just didn't quit and that that kind of is was our thing and you know we we built something legendary in that time here in in ann arbor okay yeah so so rewinding the tape born in atlanta yes moved to ann arbor yep grew up on the south side right no uh close so First place we lived was like um, downtown Ann Arbor, like Carytown area. Okay. okay. Like near the like Water Hill kind of area in Ann Arbor. Um, and yeah, it was it it was great. And, but you know, we started to notice early like black people moving out of the neighborhood. You know, it started way before that, but like this is like the early eighties. Right. We got here when I in '83. I was three, and it was great. We um, lived on Fourth Avenue, um, but yeah, two three years later, rent went up. We had to move, so we moved further east towards Ipsy, right to Pittsfield. Okay, were were you guys? I'm curious about the dynamic between Ann Arbor and Ipsy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get here until I came to college mm-hmm. at Eastern. When you were growing up, before you even got into your teenage years, was there a different, like, were you, was there a different perception of what was going on in Ipsy versus Ann Arbor? That, you know, kind of, I think about being from Flint. Yeah. And there's a place in Flint or outside of Flint, it's called Carmen. Okay. It's called the Carmen Ainsworth School District, essentially. Okay. We used to play Carmen Ainsworth. And everybody, you know, when we were growing, even when we were little kids, Carmen was always looked at as, oh, you got to have money to stay in Carmen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think about how Ipsy and Ann Arbor, from what I see, at least on the surface, is like two sides of the same coin in a way. Mm-hmm. And but that perception that there is a difference is bred sometimes very early. I mean, I yeah. know it's bred into the kids who I serve in terms of, oh, you know, I want to go to Ann Arbor schools because of this, that, and third. What was that? Was there a dynamic like that growing up? See, I'm sure there was, but where I grew up, it was right on the border of Ipsy. So it was, it, to me, it was kind of all the same. Like I was right on Carpenter. Okay. Uh, first, first off Packard, which was Pittsfield Village. Okay. 
Um, which at the time, you know, was you know Section Eight housing. Yeah. Um, but now they're 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 condos. They they look exactly the same. They didn't do nothing to them. But yeah, again we then we started. We had to move again across from the old best. Was that it? Was that um, where you was talking about the, across from like before you got to Meyer and all that on Carpenter? Like yeah, right off right off Packer. Yeah. So so it's like a little strip um, with like Mary's Chicken. There's barber shops over there. Yeah. Um, so there's houses and then you pass all that in the houses and then there's a little neighborhood apartments called, well now condos called, uh, Pittsfield Village. Okay. So that's where I grew up, I guess the most from, mm-hmm. from five years old to I think 13. Uh-huh. And then around 13, we had to move again. So we moved to Carpenter, um, uh, apartments called Ridgewood. That's across the street from like Kroger and Home Depot and all yes, that stuff. Yes. So then we lived there. So yeah, to me, I, I never really thought about Ann Arbor and Ipsy in that way. Okay. I know, I know there was, there was definitely, you know, it's as funny as it sounds, there was tension, you know what I'm saying, on some like on some like uh some street stuff. Yeah. You know, between you know, cats that I knew from the north side of Ann Arbor, um, like Airwood, um, and cats from Ipsy. You know, I was never involved in none of that, of course, and didn't know much about it, but I knew it existed. There was something there. But to me, <clears throat> excuse me, to me, it was just, you know, I didn't think about it like right. that. You was just hooping at the Nike courts. Yeah. Yep. On Ellsworth and all that. Yep. Okay. So, what did hip-hop do for you as a kid? Hip-hop gave me confidence for sure. Um, Along with my mom. My mom gave me immense confidence. Like, she's like, you know, oh, my baby, he dribbled with his left hand. He the best. You know, she just hyped up everything I did. Right. So along with my mom, hip hop just it just gave me confidence, you know. Um, it gave me a community of friends, uh-huh. um, and yeah, it just you know when you when you knew the lyrics to whatever song was popping, I get that got you props, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So right, uh, right. So and then yeah, we just that that's AML. That's how we came together was. Basketball and rap, like our love for rap, our love for basketball, and that's how we became friends. So they they brought me my best friend. Hip hop brought me my best friends, gave me confidence, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just something I found that I was actually good. At. I mean, I'm good at a few things, but right, I get it. Yeah, it was like, oh, I can do, I can really do this. How did you move from memorizing lyrics to writing your own lyrics? Yeah, so that's what it started as, writing other people's lyrics. Yeah. Uh, when I was about 11, um, 12. Um, I just, I don't know what it was. It wasn't like a one moment, like something snapped. But it was just like, let me try it. Let me try right, it for myself. Right. Let me try to write my own raps. Right. Um, and yeah, I just started trying to do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So then... You were writing rhymes with the rest of the guys 
Like you were writing rhymes on your own, I guess. First, by myself and first. Then, yeah. Um, at what point did it start turning towards you guys starting to make your own music? So that was uh, freshman year at Huron High School. Okay. Um, Trey Styles. Uh, what, Trey, year, what year was that, by the way? Uh, ninety three. So when we started. Shout out Sean Layden. Yep. Wayne Baskerville. OGs. Oh, Keisha yep. Ross. Yep. Uh, 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 Jason. All them cats. They, they was all, all they was all getting ready to walk away. I think, or they were juniors. Probably juniors. They were juniors. Yeah, I think they were juniors. I think they came out ninety four because I came out ninety five. Okay. And they were a year ahead of me. Gotcha. So shout out to shout out to the River Rat Vets. Yeah. Nettie. Yeah. All of y'all. They all they all helped us, man. They we had a for real like. I, I could say for myself, I had a for real community of people who really cared about Amen. me and us. You know what I'm saying? That's like, great. For whatever reason, like, you know, just because whether it be the neighborhood, whether it be sports, whatever it was, mm-hmm. they just really looked out. You know what yeah, I'm saying? So, that's good. Um, so, yeah, shout out to them. Much, much appreciation to them. But, yeah, so like 93, when we started high school, we started in Trey's basement. Uh, on Nixon Road on the north side of Ann Arbor. Trey was like the RZA of the crew um, as far as like I got my Casio little beat machine. I can't even, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if I can call it a beat Shout machine. Shout out to Casio, the SK5 Whatever yellow pads. I don't know what it was. But and all that. It was way, it was not no MPC and none right, of that. Right, 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 Because um, we, you know, we was kids. Um, and so, yes, he had his, the mic and so, yeah, I can't even, I don't remember who found out who rapped, but it somehow we found out. It's right. like, oh, we're okay. And then Trey was like, yo, I got a mic. Let's come to my crib. So that, every week, it was Trey's crib, Trey's crib, Trey's crib in the uh-huh. basement. Every week. Every week for what turned into, shoot, five years. Right. You know what I'm saying? All through high school, he was over there. Right. Even the, after high school, we was over there. Then, you know, we were all different ages. So college kind of took us elsewhere. Um, I stayed, went to Michigan. Right. Trey went to Alabama because he's originally from Alabama, his right. family. Uh-huh. Uh, KT went to FAMU. Um, uh, Mike was Mike, you know, he's in the streets. Hey, <laughs> Shout out to Mike. Doing his thing. Uh, and then yeah the rest of us went to Michigan Mayor Vaughn West and then after um, my sophomore year we moved to New York everybody Uh, everybody except Mayor Uh, Mayor and Mike they both kind of they they came out but they didn't like move move okay Uh, but yeah yep the rest of us what was what was in New York what we thought was the Mecca. Yeah. Uh, our, our chance. In the midst of yeah. everything. Okay. Yeah. So that was that era. That was like the rock when, when Raucous was like crazy. Popping. Shout out to Shabam Sadiq. And, and, and Invincible is our people. Yeah. So Invincible moved out there. Okay. And Invincible was had it popping. She was popping. On the scene. Like, and we were like, let's go out there, kick it with Invincible. See what happens. Right. Um, nothing happened. <laughs> you know, we learned the hard way. Like, Amen. Even that industry is cutthroat. Like, that's like, 
Yeah, it's tough. So what did I guess the 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 strategy was to the strategy to make something happen mm-hmm. was what? Out there, you mean? What, what, yeah, like what? what so what, what, yeah, were it you was on demos or we were yeah we were working on demos. Um, we had we had pressed some vinyl, so we had a little EP. Um, it's called Athletic Mike League Volume One. Okay, vinyl. Um, so we were just taking that around everywhere, every label, every indie label, mm-hmm. going to every show we could, trying to get on every open mic we could. Mm-hmm. Man, I think we might have maybe, maybe got on stage, actually got on stage at an open mic maybe twice. <laughs> like, we would be on the list getting skipped over, like, because yeah. we didn't know nobody. Like, they were like, who who are these kids? Like, no. So, so, um, but we hit every label we could. We went, we went to every show we could, okay. shook as many hands as we could, but it just didn't really materialize into anything mm-hmm. really, like, tangible. The best thing that came out of that trip was we learned how to, you know, pay bills and be adults. You know, we were 18, 19, 20 at the time. Um, and we made, we wrote most of Sweats and Kicks there. Okay. Okay. So, so you come back and do Sweats and Kicks? Yep. Talk about Sweats and Kicks. Was that, in retrospect, what does that mean to you at this point? That was... That was our, you know, whatever. I don't know, magnum opus. That was your opus. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, Sweats and Kicks started everything. Okay. It, it, you know, Drew was a, he still is a computer whiz, uh, mayor, computer whiz. So he, he made a website. And we were one of a handful of cats that was using, selling our own material off our own website. Um, not really super dependent on, you know, consignment and yeah. other like uh, stores, whether online stores or in phys- you know physical stores, because that was still super huge at the time. And yeah, we we were we were indie hustlers, like for real, for real, like right. moving moving merch, selling our own stuff off our website. It right. was seven of us though, so. We couldn't really tour like that. Couldn't break bread. Like, yeah, yeah. But no, that's that started everything. That that got people all around the world talking about athletic Mike Lee. And like, how did so you you seeing you know a little bit of a, a little bit of movement overseas? Yeah. And but you still here? Still here. Yeah. Um. So it was sweats and kicks. And then there was a follow-up, wasn't there? Yeah, Jungle Gym Jungle. Okay. Uh, which what what changed? What what do you think? Like, where was the growth for that over sweats and kicks? You know, you know what it was. We were tired of people comparing us to other people. Like who? Who were you being compared to? Whoever. Uh, Just any large conglomerate of MCs of like that boom bat souls of mischief backpack. And- yeah, whoever right. it was uh, at the time, and so we were like, "Nah, like one, one." We were like, "I don't think we sound anything like them." Right. But two, it's like because they might have been a little more popular. They were like, "Oh, AML sounds like them." 
Like we were following them and following their footsteps. We were yeah. like, no, we we've been rapping before we knew who these people were. This is who you are. Yeah. So so that that was the impetus behind Jungle Gym Jungle. We were like, we we don't want to make anything that sounds like anything anybody else can make that we get get compared to. So it was intentional. It Very. wasn't just a matter of growth. It was intentional. Very that intentional. You wanted to do something that was just left field. Yep. Yep. Kind of like, I guess you could say it was kind of like, uh, I'm sure that's what that's what a, a Electric Circus was kind of like for yeah. Common maybe. I loved Electric Circus. I did too. I, I, did I too. would love for somebody to come in here and want that, to talk that'd about that. That'd be their album? Yes. Sure, we could have did that. We sure, sure could have. Um, but yeah, so we signed with Barack Records. Um Label home of Slum. Slum and Dilla, Fat mm. Cat. Yep. Duele. Yeah. And um, learned a lot. Learning experience. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, I think that that helped the beginning of the end of AML recording music together. So why did that happen? It was the first time we were like, weren't controlling everything yeah and so i think a lot of people who are not necessarily at that tier mm-hmm. they don't really know what it's like to have somebody you know when you make your music at you know in your basement or and you might have a little bit of pull that you're getting from shows and mm-hmm. things like that you still don't really have somebody that's governing right or trying to govern or beyond an advice element mm-hmm. what you're doing right how did that feel? Like, like, what were you being told to do differently? Um, it wasn't even that too much. We 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 had a really um uh, huge say in the creative process on the album. It wasn't too much a creative thing. Mm-hmm. It was more so, um, you know, we got a press this song on the vinyl because this is what people are saying they like the most mm-hmm. um you know we got to spend this money to get you guys featured in this magazine uh which was all like it, big picture it helped our brand grow yeah we it was the first time we were ever had national distribution in all the targets and best buys across the country that right. was that was huge yeah um you gotta give up something to get gotta it. give up something yeah and yeah I, and, and it wasn't and let me be clear let me be clear it wasn't like people were like oh this this whole situation is trash i'm done yeah but it was like people were like i need a break i just need a break because it's stressful yeah i'll never forget um i was we were making music uh back in the in the mid-2000s making a lot of music got approached by a label not gonna say who it was who said we we had like four independent groups that were all operating as a conglomerate and they said that they wanted seven they wanted us to give them seven projects mm-hmm. a group project a project for each of us individually gotcha. well really two group projects and a, and a project for each of us independently and one of the brothers who was amongst us Ask a question, and I didn't really understand the question for what it was back then. Mm-hmm. He said it was a it was a black label. Mm-hmm. He said, "When do the white people get involved?" 
And at the time, we was like, man, what are you talking about? Why would you ask that question? You know what I'm saying? These is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't end up going with the deal or whatever. But in retrospect, I understood later that what he meant was, when does it turn into a situation where we lose control over what we do in order to continue to grow? Yeah. Yep. And so I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, and again, let me be clear. Shout out to Barack. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's a business. They, they, it's a business. Simple yes. as that. And we weren't, we weren't ready yet. And businesses are, are predicated on growth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I get it. So music, did, music didn't, music slowed up. Did it slow up or did it just shift? It shifted. It okay. shifted. Talk about that shift. How did it change? Uh, yeah. So yeah, we we just we we signed a one album deal, uh-huh. and then we if we wanted to re up, we had the option. We decided not to. Okay. So, um, I think KT wanted to just focus on production. Um, couple cats wanted to like let me just finish up with school graduate from college and me knock that out whatever it may be um and so we 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 held a vote to see who should be the solo artist to like kind of carry the torch for aml until we decided to come back together so it wasn't like the end it was never like all right we done we broke up yeah and we never you know we never we never stopped being brothers either absolutely um but so they voted for me. And it's a lot of pressure. You know, in hindsight, think about it now, like yeah, at the time I didn't I mean I did feel it a little bit, but I thought it would be short lived. I thought it would be like a year, maybe two, okay. and then we we back on again. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. if I would have known it would have been fifteen years, <laughs> I would have been like, Oh no, I can't right. I can't do it. But um but no, it, you know, again, it, I, I, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, I found my my lane, and I just kept the, the foot my foot on the gas. Like okay, and uh, yeah, here we are. Absolutely, fifteen years later. So you, let's talk about Black Opera. Okay. Um, you tried to do something different. Yes. Where did that, the mentality, the creative vision, talk about where that kind of originated? So, I'll give you, I'll give you the real, the real. That's deal, why we here. Real I don't even deal, know. Holy field. You don't even need to explain it. it what needs it <clears throat> needs not be explained. Go ahead. Um, I know you had a joint with Georgia and Muldrew. Yes. So it started, you know. Me and Jess been brothers for years from the binary star subterraneous days. Sure. Never was a topic of conversation like, yo, we need to link up. We need to be a group. None of that. Right. So um, you get you, an exclusive here too, right? Because we, we don't really tell, we don't really tell the backstory. Bruh. That's, I don't the deserve, of, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the black opera. I don't deserve the exclusive. Like, you do. No, you absolutely do. That's why, that's why we, we're going there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jess, don't don't be mad at me, Jess. Um, so 
we um started I started recording at his crib. So I this is like 08 I moved to LA. I come back around 2010. Mm-hmm. When I come back, the studio that we had been recording at since day one, since the beginning, 40 ounce sound had shut down. Remember 40 ounce sound? Yeah. So uh, we were we were the first rap group to record at 40 ounce sound. Okay. <laughs> um, and so they had shut down, and I did so I didn't know where to record. So Jess had moved from Detroit to Ipsy. He's on the south side um, And um, Yeah I hit him up Like yo I need to Record some features I was doing a bunch of features For like Cats overseas And stuff like that Cause this they, I have been touring now Like on the road Yeah All over um, So Yeah I just needed a spot To record Just to lay some verses down He's like yeah Come through Of course And so I started doing that Coming over there over there more frequently and then it just kind of organically he's like yo let's let's do some joints i was like yeah of course and that's kind of how the black opera was born um so um i'm gonna do the like uh men in black thing and like right hit that so y'all forget that whole story and go back to the the, the the mythical story of how the black opera formed right, 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 right but that's the that's the real deal answer we did a song, a uh, couple songs, and um, yeah, a, a, a lot of it was, again, we wanted to remain anonymous at the time because we didn't want people to say, oh, this is this is Majestic Legend from Subterranean, yeah, this is Buff, Buff One. one. Yeah. yeah, okay, we know what they, right. they, we know what they do, cool. Right. So we were like, no, nah, we, we're going to take our names completely out of it. Just the black opera And you know First few videos We didn't show our face We weren't in the videos Like right. We wanted people to really Like judge the music Right um, For what it is And so And you did six projects That way right Um Was it six? Overture Intermission Yep Libretto Yep Until the Great Year I think the Great Year Is when we Started to like Reveal Like say Okay yeah we okay. are we are Buff One or Jamal Buffett and Majestic Legend. But Black Opera allowed you to move around again, like yep. And yep. you went overseas again. Yep. And every wow. Yeah, I mean it. It in our it, our show is really our. I mean the music is great. Don't get me wrong, but um. Yeah, we started to get booked up because like people were like, we got to see this show. Like, and we we were very intentional about like not like. Allowing too much footage to get out of the show and get online and on YouTube, like sure. we like no, you gotta, you have to come see it. Like you can't, we don't, we didn't want people to record. Like we weren't like snatching people's phone or nothing like that, but, right? But we were like letting people know, like you know, this is experience. You know, try not to record it and post it. Like mm-hmm. if you do record it, just keep it for yourself. And so it worked in our advantage, because um, you know we. We do the wardrobe changes. We do the masks. Yeah. We got the projection projection screen behind us. So it's like it's like theater. It's like really like um, it's performance art. So um, yeah, yeah. That 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 had been my thing. You know, I think we started around like yeah, like 2011. We put out our first. Yeah. And then that that still doing solo stuff, of course. But um, 
TBO is is was a big part of my last few years. What what project do you feel? I mean, obviously, I, you know, I would believe that you're proud of everything that you've done. Mm-hmm. But what I think that it comes a time in every MC's life where they really, really find their voice. We all start out kind of sounding like other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, sounding like our influences. Yep. But, and I knew it was relatively, it may have been back on Sweats and Kicks, where you really found where Buff One's spot was kind of in the high school of rap, in a way. Like, do you think, where was that period for you where you felt like you were completely in your bag? I wouldn't I wouldn't say sweats and kicks. Okay. I listen back to sweats and kicks and I hear things. I'm like, man, I don't like how I said that. Yeah. Man, I could have said that differently or better. Right. Um, so sweats and kicks came out in 2002. Jungle Jim Jungle came out in 2004. Right. Um I had some moments on Jungle Jim Jungle, but still I don't I, it was when I had to I put my first mixtape together. Okay. Um uh, the one and only mixtape. Okay. In 2005. And I think that is where I really was like, okay, I, I can do this by myself. No, I do this. Yeah. I do this. <laughs> I do this. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then that built into uh, my next mixtape, which is Small City Big Name. Yeah. And then right. Pure, my first solo album, uh, which again, helped me ascend kind of to another level do you and and now, i said ascend to another level like <laughs> I, I mean no but I, you, I think that you have to look at it that way though but, but yeah yeah i mean when you think about it every day as an artist or as anybody who's extremely passionate about something that you're building on top of you get 1% better and at some point you get to a point where you feel as though you have identified your specific weaknesses and you've identified your voice. Yeah. And sometimes it's built from the pressure that you put on yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it also comes from a certain level of contentment that you're reaching like, hey, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. These are my limitations. Yep. This is what I'm good at. This is how I want it to sound. Yeah. And this is how I'm able to manipulate things. Yeah. So I get it 100%. Um, so you're doing TBO, you know, um, shout out to Majestic Legend. Yeah. Um, did anybody else do production for you guys from TBO? So, yeah, but, but to start, like, Jess wasn't, Jess wasn't, we weren't using too much of Jess's production early on. It was, um, KT, um, Nick Speed, uh, Astro Note, um, Shout out to Nick Speed. Nick Speed yeah. is the nicest person I've ever met he is. in my life. Yes. He, he you talking about I know a lot of people. Nick Speed know everybody. Nick Speed knows Dog. everybody. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm watching a series on Netflix. Yeah, his sister. And his, his sister, sister was yeah. on, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. All of a sudden, here Nick Speed is on <laughs> And I'm like, this dude is everywhere, yep. man. Yeah. Absolutely. That's speed. It's, it's just a testament to how the way in which you treat people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he makes everybody feel like a star, yeah, yeah, is why he is so respected and so loved. Mm-hmm. And he's skilled and talented as fuck too. Yeah. Don't get it yeah. twisted. Exactly. 
Shout out to Nick Speed. Shout out to Nick Speed. Um, he probably don't even know who I am, by the way. But it's I, I've met him. He and he treated me like, what's up, man? Yeah, How yeah, you doing? Yeah. What's good, man? You yeah. know? And I'm like, yo, what up? What up? You know? So, shout out. Damn, that's how Speed is. Um, Tall black guy. Shout out to Tall Black Guy. Um, shout out to Tall Black Guy and Zoe just put a project they out. They did. Yep. Yep. Shout out to Zoe. Zoe is hilarious. Shout out to Zoe. Guy. Um, yeah, so a bunch of different producers, collaborators. And then um, around the great year, but really uh, African America mm-hmm. is when we started to get more involved in the production. Um, like me giving ideas just you know using his use, using a lot of his beats um started collaborating with other producers like my guy Arjun Singh mm-hmm. we would um like give him sample ideas and have him w- work those so um yeah just you know we 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 kind of see ourselves like as an ever evolving um like we don't have like a set roster, yeah. you know, like kind of like the roots. Um, you come in, do an album with the roots, then you might not see that person again on the roots album, but right. Um, yeah. So, right, 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 right. So then you started putting, can you talk about the mixtapes that you've been putting on Bandcamp where you rhyming on other people's joints? Oh, uh, the eighties babies to the two G's. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that was Jess' idea. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of TBO is from Jess's brain because he's just like, he's just an idea, just, just a never-ending ideas. Yeah, just comes yeah. up with a hundred ideas a day. Yeah, you know, I might like maybe two of them, but they're brilliant, and yeah. then that ends up being what we do. Right. Um. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it was. He he came. He was like, "Yo, we should like." We should take like classic hip hop joints, but like trap them out and just rap crazy on them. And yes, like really try to like, we, we were trying to like offend hip hop heads, <laughs> but you it know, didn't work because people like it. Like but, people, yeah. <laughs> but you know what, what, what I think about it is because of the legalities and you know the algorithms mm-hmm. and the bots. Yeah, it, we we really have lost the feeling of somebody freestyling over faith. Uh, you used to love me. Yeah, you know yeah, those yeah, yeah, yeah. for me. Like it's I think when listening to hip hop, the familiarity of the soundscape sometimes can allow you to appreciate an artist more. Yeah, like somebody rhyming over a classic breakbeat. Yeah, or something like that. It's almost like a standard. Mm-hmm. So. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that old Ranji blend tape kind yeah. of feel. Yeah. And you you do it a little bit different. Y'all choose some stuff that's a little bit, you know, like when the last one that you did where you was rhyming over like Portishead type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was ghosting. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Ghosting. Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, I don't know. We, we, we like to experiment, man. Like just... You know, hip hop started. It was it was about breaking rules, you Absolutely. know. And so, yes, 
you know, there are some things that, you know, is traditional to hip hop and this is how it is and this is, you know, no biting, all that, of course. But like other than that, man, just have fun. Like try try stuff. <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. yeah, ghosting ghosting was me rhyming over other people's like whole songs. Right. Um 80s babies to the two G's we were taking actual like instrumentals from other people. Right. But, like chopping and screwing, like slowing them down, like taking a classic primo beat uh-huh. and slowing it down and rapping double time on it. Like like, you know what I'm saying? Or rapping or us rapping on like a Lil Uzi Vert beat. Absolutely. Because people just wouldn't expect oh the, those, those they they boom bap, they backpack, they hip hop heads. They can't rap over Lil right. Uzi Vert. It's like, why not? Having the ability <laughs> to manipulate sound yeah. is kind of what has made hip-hop what it was, mm-hmm. what it is. So, let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. Talk about this last AML project. Yes, man. So happy. Um, Playground Legends, Volume 1. Uh, volume 1? Yeah, it's probably going to be another volume. Probably Volume 2 and we might stop there. Okay. Um... Yeah, uh, I would say, I would say Trey, Trey was a big, again like, driving force for for making it happen. Um, me and Trey, um, and then you know we, we we just kept talking about it. Yeah. In the group text, like, what's up? Like, let's do it. Right. When we gonna do it? Let's right. do it. And then, man, literally right before COVID, literally. Yeah. We went to Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, where uh, where Wes lives, um, aka Vital. Shout out to Wes. Uh, he teaches at VCU, teaches art at VCU. Right. And so that was our destination. We went down there and um, recorded Playground Legends Volume One. We flew home, and I think like two days later, they shut down everything. So you're talking about right before they acknowledged that COVID was around. Yeah, 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 oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If yeah. you know, you know, right, um, right. And yeah, it yeah. was yeah, just yeah, super happy about it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be. Yeah, you gotta be. It had to feel good. We and you know that we do the retreats. You know, what I'm right. saying on a year to year basis. Yeah. Last year we weren't able to do one. One is on the books for this year. We talked about that yeah. too. Yeah. Um. That collaboration in a small amount of time, mm-hmm. in a small physical place, is something that is so truly special that I've turned towards doing a lot of my study about mm-hmm. that kind of environment and right. about how music, how music is made. It's right. really made me, above and beyond what I'm doing educationally, like the culture of how musicians collaborate Mm -hmm. in a controlled environment is something that is really, really interesting to me. Yeah. What was the process? Like how, what kind of memories do you have about the process of creating in that space that you found were best practices? Good question. Um, Well, it really just, you know, it was like, we got beats. <laughs> Throw some beats on. Did you get beats from outside of the retreat that got sent in? Or no, was it? no, we we were like, this got to be all us. This Everything first one, was made in house. The first one got to be all us. Like no. So volume two, we might. Okay. 
that, um, you know, I don't know if I'm letting the cat out the bag, but we no, don't, and you ain't got to, you ain't got to. Say actually, less. it's not even in stone, but we might with volume two. It might be that more kind of collaborative. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, we were like we were intentional about the first one back being all all lab techs, which is the four producers from AML, which is uh, Haircut, aka Mayor Hawthorne, Fourteen KT, Trey Styles, and Vaughn T. Okay. So yeah, okay. it was just you know we started out actually. With, I started the retreat with like I I I did some facilitation, uh, like some some. Rest- you, did, you did an icebreaker. I did I did restore <laughs> I did my restorative practice work on circle? the team. Yeah, we, we straight up like no joke. We I circled them up. Um, I love it, and because we we also wanted it to be about. Hmm. What are you doing? What have you been up to? I mean, not that everybody we all know what everybody's been up to, but we just wanted to have every, give everybody an opportunity to highlight something they're passionate about right. or what's going on with them. So I did some group facilitation work to kind of help <laughs> help. Uh, I can completely see you doing. This. Yep. I mean, I, we got pictures of it. I show you pictures like we got the post its on the on the wall and right. So I just did that. Just you know we. we we didn't need it, you know. Like it's not like we haven't been talking over these years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was just cool. I, I, it was fun to kind of show them what I do in this in that world, right? Um, Create a space of emotional and intellectual safety. Yes, yep. You know, and so yeah, uh, started with that, and then it was just like yeah, just throw some beats on, and we just vibe like we used to vibe, like right. Yeah. See, when when we get together. You have to cut through like two or three layers of jokes first. Like the jokes oh, yeah. be so same, heavy. Same with us, yeah. It's so heavy that yeah. you know what I'm saying. We um, I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm definitely looking forward to the next one, and I would love for you to join us. Yes, yes. I, I, we gotta we gotta talk about logistics. Um, Absolutely, but yeah, Absol- especially in lieu of the main hiking back up like it's been. Yeah. Um. So just to kind of close this element, this this part of our discussion out. What is your favorite? You got a you got a hell of a catalog. TBO, Athletic Mike League, Buff One, yeah. Mixtapes where you rapping on other people's shit. Yeah. Ghosting. Yeah. Formula 734. Yeah. What is your favorite of everything? Like like whole piece of yes. body of work, I guess. What are you I guess what are you most <clears throat> proud of? Um Probably, probably pure. Mm. Probably pure. My first official solo album. Um, I think there are moments. I say and sweat. It's kind of like I would say one A pure, one B sweats and kicks. Right. Okay. There are now. Don't get me wrong. Like there are moments on everything where I'm like, I was going crazy, <laughs> or. We were going like there's moments on Jungle Gym Jungle where I'm like, nobody else can do this. I'm like, rhyming right now, and not even just the rhymes. I'm talking about the whole like the beats, the rhymes, the concepts, how we our energy. Like there's moments on Jungle Gym Jungle where I'm like, this might be my favorite thing ever that I've been a part of. Right. Um. But there's also parts where I'm like, eh, I didn't love how what I said or how I said it. So yeah. But yeah, I would say pure um, 1A, 
Twice the Kicks one B, and then bunch of TVO stuff, man. Um, African America is super special to me. Like mm. it's really important to me. Um, yeah, just because of what was going on in the world. Yeah, and how we put it together, like kind of on the fly. Like, yeah, so. I guess that would be one C. No. <laughs> so here's what I say. In the com- we haven't even talked about MBK. Right. And and what you do there. And we probably I'm probably just gonna have to have you come back and do that. Okay. That's cool. Um, but what I will say is stepping into this space in the last couple of years and being a part of what you've been growing with MBK and the fact that we sit in discussions with public officials, business owners, yeah. education, you know, super duper masters at whatever they do yeah. and scholars and everything. Mental health experts. And the first thing that you always say, obviously, other than t- telling them that, you know, you're the leader of MBK, is the fact that you say, I'm a hip hop artist. Yeah. And that has provided motivation for me to know that I'm doing the right thing by also putting that at the forefront of my intersectionality. Yes. Um, because I sit at tables where people are, yes, my dissertation is about yada, yada, this quant- this, this kind of numbers-based quantitative kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm studying how kids interpret and respond to hip hop and how it can be used in order to engage them in other literacies. Yes. How it can be used to engage them in STEM. And, and just just so you know, like you were a huge influence on me when we met that that was your kind of academic lane and you were like not shy about, you know, this hip hop thing is scholarly. Like it is just as scholarly as anything else you might want to study. Um, and so, yeah, I want to thank you. No doubt. Um, no doubt. Yeah. We, we, I mean, I think that, so then we bouncing off each other yeah. because I didn't, when I was in K-12, I didn't tell people that I, in, in these scholarly conversations or even these leadership level conversations about what's going on in schools, because being in schools is very moral. It's yeah. very morally grounded still. Yeah. And to say I'm a hip hop artist or I'm a hip hop producer as well, you know, you get kind of like some side eyes, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. So it took for me to kind of walk away from the school to say, me being and me wanting seeking to understand hip hop better empowers me mm-hmm. amongst those who I choose to serve. Yeah. And I don't have to hide that anymore. Right. And like I said, I give you a lot of credit because you step confidently into these spaces and say, I'm hip hop. Yeah. I'm DJing at the beginning of the meeting. Yeah. You know, it might be a cuss word that slip out every now and then. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so, yeah, man, that's just part of your power. And, and so that, I, we definitely got to come back and talk more about MBK. Okay. Um, I'm right down the street. You know, I ain't far. So. And we want, I, I think we should, <laughs> you're right. I think we should take the time, too, to point out the fact that while we are talking about MBK in a little bit, MBK is doing 
a screening of Formula 734 in Ypsilanti. Yes. Um, as those plans develop, I'll be posting those to, you know, Zero Noise Podcast, social media. Thank you. Yes, please. And things of that nature. Because I think that what was clear was hip-hop is very geographically connected. Mm-hmm. Like, where something comes from gives it value. Right. And it was very important to you from the very outset that Formula 734, which is, for those who don't know, which is a documentary that captures the creation of a hip-hop album from young men across generations. You can buy it. You can buy the album at formula734.bandcap.com. I mixed the album. Me and Buff, executive, produced the album. The documentary of it had to be shown in Ipsy. If it was going to be shown in public, it had to be shown in Ipsy first. first. No amongst the people first. Yep. Why was that so important to you? Um, A couple reasons. One, I, I want... I wanted to, because we because we do have a, a working relationship with Ypsilanti Community Schools. Um, so, one, in order to honor that relationship, um, I wanted I wanted it to be in close proximity to a lot of the young folks right in that community. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like in their backyard and they felt they could feel proud about it. Uh, even if they don't know nothing about it or they didn't really have nothing to do with it. Like the fact that it was mostly for the most part recorded in Ypsilanti. Yes. Um, I want them to feel pride about that. Um, um, so that's, that's part of it. Um, two, because I just feel like, you know, I feel like Ann Arbor gets a lot of stuff. You know, <laughs> they they got... Tons of film festivals and this and that going on. Um, so I just, you know, I was like, let's do something. And not, and not that it won't happen in Ann Arbor. We like, it'll, it'll happen. But Absolutely. yeah, first I wanted, I wanted it to first uh, be in Ypsilanti. Absolutely. Yeah. There is an ecosystem of music, and I would dare to even argue specifically black music. That is developing in this space. Mm-hmm. And you're a large part of that. A huge part of that. Um, and it's just been a blessing. Try to be. Try to be. To be a part of to be a part of seeing it grow has been fantastic. Because I'm a, you know, I'm a transplant. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a native, but um I've really been accepted here um as a person that wants to elevate the name and elevate not so much the sound the sound is very it's very because it's all kinds of different sounds but it's a very collaborative culture mm-hmm. here yeah it is that going back to that discussion about being that nexus when I got involved with Grove I thought that Grove could become that nexus mm-hmm. where Danny shout out to Danny Darling Amplify Fellow can have a project that has Ben playing trumpet from Sabbatical Bob. Mm-hmm. Could have Buff One rapping on a song. Mm-hmm. Could have Tim Blackman playing bass on a song. Yeah. Could have Curtis Wallace do the artwork for. Mm-hmm. And I see that, and that's really exciting for me. 
because everything that I've always been involved in has been very outsourcing things. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. Shout out to all of those people. Yeah. Um, but as we always do, very quickly, we take the time and explore projects that are outside of this room in an effort to understand why albums affect people. Albums to me are critical discourse about specific things, but internally we take them in and they become a part of who we are. So Buff chose to talk about a SWAT healing ritual. Yes. By Witch Doctor. Yes. April 21st, 1998. Where were you? Um, I was a freshman at the University of Michigan. Um, in the engineering program. And, uh, yeah, I, after that, shortly after that next year, I was like, I can't do engineering. I'm not an engineer. I thought I was. Right. Them classes smacked me around and I was trying to be a rapper on the side and it just didn't, didn't work. So that's where I was. Wow. So I lived in Spice Tree when this album came out. Okay. <laughs> um, shout out to B Chill. I gotta call B Chill back too. Um, Brian Childress, my roommate, my roommate all through college. Okay. Brought this album home um, at a time when. So he brought it. You saying he, he brought, bought it? it? I never. He I never it. owned okay. it. Okay. I actually dubbed it. Okay. Um, I still had a game player in my. That's car. funny. I didn't own it either. Ah. I didn't own it either. I think Trey. I think it was you know when you when you. You kind of, you know, you can collectively buy things back, yes, back then. Yes, yes. Shout out to Brian Childress. <laughs> Brian Childress had the 60 disc. We was in Spice Tree. He had the 60 disc CD changer. So this was at a time where everything that organized noise was involved in was getting bought by somebody. Yep. Facts. And um, for me, organized noise specialized in sampling and accompanying samples with live instrumentation live, live instruments, yeah. that was very southern and bluesy in its in its nature mm-hmm. I think about southern playlist of Cadillac Funky Music and the progression that happened to eight to ATLians mm-hmm. was more about the samples and the instrumentation choices than it was what they were talking about when you listen to the music. Yeah, that's a big part of it too. It was a, I mean, but it yeah. was a, I remember it was, because Southern Playlistic Cadillac Funky Music was dope. Very dope. Very dope. Mm-hmm. Ve- but it, I would dare to argue that sometimes it gets overshadowed by AT Aliens. And then, yes. in a way. It does. Because yeah. AT Aliens was huge. Me and you, your mom and your cousin too. I remember when I first heard that. And this ain't about ATLs, but it made it where it was humble enough for regular people like you and I right. who grew up, you grew up in Ann Arbor, I grew up in Flint, yeah. to get into. It wasn't overly aggressive. Right. It wasn't overly gregarious. It was just young cats trying to be cool, trying to get up on some females, yeah. smoking weed and drinking. 
liking to ride around. Yeah. It was just very, and it was, but it was dope music. Mm-hmm. So, organized noise at that time couldn't do any wrong. Thanks. Couldn't do any wrong. I know that Cool Breeze's first album came out after this. Yes, it did. Yep. Because, according to Witch Doctor, Watch for the Hook was originally given to Witch Doctor. Ah, I didn't know that. But Witch Doctor couldn't get into it. And we wouldn't have even <laughs> known who Witch Doctor was on that record if it hadn't been for this record. Right. And and I almost did East Point's Greatest Hits. That was the, almost the album Ooh, that I went you with. Have, that was you all, have. It was between these them two albums. You could have. But, but I was like, but I feel like, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I feel like East Point's greatest hits got a little bit more shine. You know, I this, think it did. Than this album. So I was like, let me go with Witch Doctor just because I think it's a little a little more under the radar. I think it did because you got to think. Cool, East Point's greatest hit had uh, Watch for the Hook, yeah. big single. Yeah. It had Creatine. Yeah. Relatively big single. Yeah. It had Eight Ball on it. Yep. It had... Yeah. A couple of other butter, a yep. couple of other joints, yeah, that w- that did a little bit better and was a little bit more digestible, yeah. But SWAT Healing Ritual was an underground organized noise album, yeah. Like yeah. it wasn't easily accessible or digestible. Mm-mm. It wasn't what I would consider at that time to be super duper lyrical. Not it was it was so much more about feeling. Yep. And the foundation of it. So when I listened to it as we were getting ready for this, I thought about how spirituality is what attached for me. Because I was in college. It was, I was, it was my junior year. I had left a telecom and film program to go into teaching. Gotcha. Because during college, my third eye just kind of blossomed. Okay. And I was all about learning more about black nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me spirituality um, and things of that nature Mm -hmm. so it was a it was as when the Dungeon Family and Outcast they would talk about you know I I remember Society of Soul album I don't know if you Mm -hmm. ever heard of them but they were speaking to that side of my curiosity and so this was a different perspective on this because it almost was kind of like a voodoo kind of thing and if you do the knowledge on voodoo Voodoo was essentially um, an African construct. Yeah, I mean, it was a it, not somewhat. It was an African construct. Um, but I think spirituality is kind of the foundation of what Dungeon Family was doing from a content perspective. Yeah, yeah. Like you think about Big Rube mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, and and I, another thing I heard on this, going back and listening to it, was the amount of morality that was involved. Songs yes. like There's Only One. Yes. Which Andre murdered. Everything. I mean, yeah, of course. Along with everything else he's always <laughs> done. But one of the things that he said, I have it, I I, I erased it when he talked about, I'm going to have to pull it back up. Um, when he talked about, hold on one second. Oh, right here. Um. I don't have it memorized. And which doctor's verse on that album when he said, and it was a lot of how he said stuff that was kind of bizarre. Yeah, yep. 
He said, listen close, all brothers are men. Him is responsible for all colors and kin. I bust with him. If only I can trust in him. I'm glad to be stuck with him. Rather have him than money. I'm serious. He'll get you once you become curious. Yeah. Lord, give me happy long life. Real good sex with the wife. Real good Good sex sex with with the the wife. wife. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No traveling with bodyguards, just a real nigga golly entourage. So it was it was so much more about how he delivered yeah. things as opposed to, you know, him being super duper lyrical. Yeah. And I'm gonna be real, like I I I don't know how much I was really into it when it came because I was 17. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I it wasn't like, oh yeah, this is my type of right. But because it was Dungeon Family and, and Organized Noise, I gave it I gave it a listen. Gave it a shot. I think it wasn't until years later yeah. when I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I get it now. Okay. You know, yeah. And I was on board from the gate. Okay. I mean, I had heard Holiday. Yeah. Every day is a holiday. I love Holiday, holiday. yeah. You know, um, but when I heard joints like that Holy Grounds joint. Holy. That, that them drums was oh, just man. crazy. Yeah. Um, smooth shit. Yeah. So one thing about this album is that the crew is kind of spread all out. Yep. And that's kind of what, that's kind of the way that I've always felt like it should be done. Like. Not everybody on one posse cut. Yes. Yeah. Don't do a posse song. <clears throat> Put people kind of scattered where they fit. Yeah. They did four in the temple. Yeah. That had Big Gip and T-Mo. Yeah. And Smooth Shit had Cujo on it. Yeah. And I feel personally, Cujo is very underrated. He is. I mean, I think I I I think the whole Dungeon family is underrated. Like, yeah. like I I don't think Big Boy gets enough credit. Um, I have some strong opinions about Big Boy that has caused me to lose friends. Do we need to go there now or no? We save that. I don't. I, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I give Big Boy his flowers for what he's done in hip hop and in hip hop history. Um, I do believe, however, that, and it could be the fact that he was overshadowed by what we all saw Andre to be. Like a monolithic MC. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to stand next to somebody that had, how can I say about Andre? What was it about Andre? Andre was very relatable, mm-hmm. but was very lyrically adept. Yes. Flow was crazy, word choice was crazy, everything. I just feel like you could have put a lot of people in that spot with Big Boy and Outkast would have blew. I don't know. I don't know. Just me. I mean, no disrespect. At no, all. but 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 I think I think you I, you probably have the same thoughts on that as a lot of people. Um, yeah. I mean, Andre 3000 is my favorite rapper of all time. Really? Hands down, nobody close, not Jay-Z, not Nas. Okay. Like, so I get it, but yeah. I also think Big Boy is in extremely, extremely in dope, talented. Yes, I agree. Um, CeeLo, I don't think enough people talk about how dope CeeLo is 
as a rapper. I, I think I don't think people give Soul Food the credit that it deserves as being. We could have talked about Soul Food. We could have, but that was too easy. That that's that Soul yeah. Food is like man. I'm trying to get more. I'm trying to get people to give me more obscure stuff. So yeah. you 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 yeah. you did that right. Um, but yeah, Cujo. Yes, Cujo. <laughs> Cujo's voice. Cujo got one of the greatest rap voices ever. Yep. Yep. Just the way that it cut through the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very convinced you know it's very it's it's grovelly and it's a good contrast from CeeLo yep you know they kind of the opposite when you listen to Goody Mob they kind of the opposite ends of, yeah. the, of the spectrum um, I never forget when I first heard, he was like Biscuit Eeny Eeny Meeny Mine and Mo it's 13 of you off in here yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah I love Cujo, bro. Yeah. That that verse, that verse on Goodie Bag is like. Cause CeeLo did his thing on you know, cause he ended with the freestyle. Absolutely. And, and he, yeah, CeeLo, CeeLo. But cause you know me, giving me left, left hand down, P Funk and Roddy Shotgun, Escoach, your window broke out, son, a cool breed. Like, yeah. I don't even what is he talking I don't know what he's talking about. I still don't know. But and I'm a grown man. I, I, don't, I still don't. Know. I felt that verse in my spirit. Like I felt like he was talking mm-hmm. to me through me. Like, yeah, Cujo. Yeah, I felt like he had the best verse on mainstream on Atlians. I let you stay at my crib. Oh yeah. Now you know where I live. When you was hungry, fed you a hot meal. Man, what? Look at the hand you feel. Yeah, it's tough. It is. It's tough. It is. Um, I looked up what a say whore is. I still yeah. don't know what a say whore is. It, I don't either. The, the is anci- like a- it's like the ancient say whore. That's that was one of my favorite joints on that on that album. Me too. But I, when I even when I googled it, I think it's like a Hindu. It's like okay. a like a Hindu thing. But I could not find out what it was specific. specifically. But I don't say who say who say. I still don't know what he's talking about specifically there. I don't I don't either. But it, it but yeah, that I was like, this is this is definitely some witch doctor yes. voodoo type stuff. And I don't think so so just looking at it from a broader sense, and the reason what I I always look at when people choose albums, how does that album connect to the experience that you had yeah. growing up? Mm-hmm. And I think about black opera. Yeah, so I was gonna get there, but go ahead. Go ahead. So go ahead. I think we on the same page. <laughs> yeah. What was you about to say? Go ahead. I was just going to say like cuz I had I had to go I picked it. But then I went I went and listened to it again. Yeah. And when I listened to it, this is like a couple weeks ago. I was like I heard so much black opera in it. Like and I and it, it I didn't think about this album at all when we were doing black opera stuff. Exactly. But, but I know it influenced Exactly. What we do with the Black Opera. With, with me, at least. Exactly. I don't even know how, how much this album meant to Jess. But for me, I was listening to it like, oh, that's that's us. Like, Exactly. Yeah. It's all in the subconscious. And yeah. I'm going to tell you why. When you listen to Black Opera, y'all choose different types of samples. Mm-hmm. But you always maintain tones from hip-hop. Yeah. Like, it may be a breakbeat. It may be where a mute is mm-hmm. it may be I mean obviously lyrically it is what it is and they may have singing on it they may but it, it's still hip hop at it's essence mm-hmm. 
And that's one of the reasons I asked you, like, what you were most proud of. Gotcha. Because which doctor is the example of... Now, now, let me say this. If which doctor was all by himself, this album probably wouldn't have been put out on a, on a grand scale. Yeah. Yep. But because of his association, right. he was given the flexibility and the ability to kind of take what was already happening with Dungeon Family right. and take it into a direction that was very different. Mm-hmm. Holiday was a great single. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. But for me, I look for people who are willing to take chances. Yes. And a Swahili ritual was a chance. Absolutely. And I think that's why I didn't really get it when I was 17. Like, yes. I was like, oh, it's cool. I like, the, you know, the beats. Yes. I, they got... Outcast on it, you know. But yeah, like I said, maybe I don't know what year it was, but it was in my twenties. I went back to it and I was like, this is incredible. Right. Like this is absolutely incredible. I don't and I don't love everything that everybody does. One right. thing I don't do on this podcast is talk down to what like I for, even for me to say what I said about Big Boy mm-hmm. is not something I customarily do mm-hmm. because I know what it's like to be an artist and I know what it's like to put stuff out only for it to be cast aside as disposable. Yeah. Right. I respect artists who take chances. Mm -hmm. This was a chance. It was absolutely a chance. And I kind of want to say, I I think it was Interscope. Shout out to Interscope for giving it a chance because it gave us something that was different. It was a different viewpoint of the whole Dungeon Family philosophy that- because when you think about it still, records like Smooth Shit, Four in the Temple, Holy Grounds, mm-hmm. those are Dungeon Family records. Yeah. Like, they could have been somewhere else yeah, yeah. in yeah. the canon. Mm-hmm. But for musicians and for artists, it's important that we take chances. Yep. That's one thing I appreciate, and I take a lot of heat for this. I give a lot of appreciation to Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Because he takes a lot of chances. Yep. Even with the amount of pressure that he has, not only being a major label artist, but having um, a library that has been very successful, he takes a lot of chances. Yeah. And so I give credit to artists that are around us that are not making standard music, bro. Mm-hmm. Like That's why Outkast is my favorite. Yeah. Because I think they have taken the most chances <laughs> out of anybody in rap. Speaker Box and The Love Below was probably the biggest risk. I mean, the, like you said earlier, just going from Southern Playlistic to ATLNs and how drastic your, yes. your sophomore album to be that different than your, like, what? How? Why? How could you even do that? And, and they just did it. And yeah. And You're then, right. You know what I'm saying? You're right. Like and even hey y'all, like who who does that? I mean, bro, <laughs> like your man's uh what Andre showed up at the ATLians. That brother had on some shoulder pads and some I ain't even yeah, we ain't even talk about the, the Rosa the, Parks video gear. Like that that's the biggest chance. Like he takes chances in that totally in that lane too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess the lesson that can be learned for artists is try different things. That was one of the things that I was really appreciative about being able to do the fellowship for those artists was mm-hmm. 
I don't care who you bring in here. If somebody want to come in here and play the mandolin on your record mm-hmm. and you feel good about it, do right. it. I mean, being able to create without bounds yep. and being able to create without market considerations is why we did the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And it's been great so far. So we just want to say, if you are an artist, and I'm speaking from a producer standpoint as well as a fan standpoint, a lifelong fan standpoint, try something different. Yep. Don't just do what you hear everybody yep. else doing because you will fall into the same line with everybody else. And that yep. sucks. Yeah. Period. Point. I blank. mean, it, it works. You know, it's it's proven if you just stick to something, it works. Like, we get that. But like, yeah. but yeah, I just, I say try it even if you try it and then you're like, eh, this ain't me or I can't right. Right. Then that's cool. You don't, you don't got to put it out or whatever. But I say still try it. Absolutely. At least try something different. Try what makes you uncomfortable. Absolutely. And it is about discomfort. Yeah. Because right on the other side of your comfort zone is greatness. Yeah. And we all know that. So, we want to thank Jamal Buffer. You got to come back. You got to come back. Clearly, yeah. So we can talk about NBK, especially yeah. as we move to the late summer. Yes. You can pick another album. We could talk more about it. Definitely. Okay. Um, and you can let us know what's next. You can let us know about this next Playground Legends. Yep, we'll do. Project. We'll do. And um, hopefully by that time, we'll be able to let everybody know where they can grab a piece of this Formula 734. Yeah. And we can maybe be talking about the second Formula 734 yeah, as hopefully. well. Yeah, hopefully. Yep. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yep. So we want everybody to like, share, and subscribe. This is the Zero Noise Podcast with Rob Wallace. You got any plugs you want to give before you take off? Um, Not really, just... You know, formula734.com. Um, you can get information there. If you if you want to see the film, you can put your information in there and we can get back to you on how you can actually see the film if you haven't seen it. Um wanna thank you, Rod. No doubt. Um for everything, all your work on Formula 734. Um just being a uh just a staple in this music scene out here now and being my my brother and my brother's keeper work. My man. Brother in general. Um, no so doubt. thank you. Uh that's it. You know, AML TBO, T Cal Meese, Buffalo. Shout out to T Cal Meese. Yeah, shout out to T Cal Meese who put out one of the best projects. High, yeah. That one came of the out this greatest year. Greatest album that came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we gotta get him on here too. It's nothing but a word. Just you know, let me know. And KT. That, and that, that we'll see. We should just do it. Yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, I know, I know already. Love you, Kate. Love you, KT. No but, doubt, uh, no we'll, doubt. We'll see about that one. <laughs> All right, bet. We want to thank our um, sponsors one more time, Grove Studios. Um, thanks for all that you do, as well as Leon Speakers um, for continuous support of the podcast. We also want to take the time to recognize uh, Brandon Scarber, ASI, our consultant. Um, a great friend of the podcast, been doing some things with him recently. Shout out to P Dot and the Dot Gang. I gotta make sure they recognize they're the ones. I don't know if you heard the Coney Island song that's been out recently, but that song is kind of taking off a little bit in the huh. city. Shout out to them. Okay. So until next time, this is Rob Wallace. I don't know why I'm so out of breath today. Support the artists and artisans around you because if the music stops, everything else does. Peace. Peace.